texts. This morning's scripture text comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we thank you for Paul's salutation, not only to the Corinthians, but also to us. May we hear his words of encouragement. May we hear your words of encouragement this morning. All this we pray. Amen. In 2015, Kathy and the kids and I had the great adventure of traveling around Greece. The adventure wasn't necessarily the actual driving itself. Their cars are very similar to ours, and they also drive on the same side of the road as we do. The adventure really started when we landed and we grabbed our Garmin GPS, the same GPS that we had been using in the 22 other countries that we had traveled in, all of Europe, Italy, Slovenia, Croatia, all of those countries over there. But the adventure began when we plugged our Garmin in and it said that it did not recognize our location. And so we fiddled with it some more and we figured out that for some unknown reason, Greece was not part of the software. <laughs> and so our navigation began old school with a piece of paper and a map. But it, and the wife giving <laughs> Oh no, she was driving. <laughs> but it wasn't just any sort of kind of normal map that, map that we had. It was sort of a cartoon map that came with the car, and so it had, and so it had caricatures of the, the Acropolis in Athens, and it had a caricature of the, the Colosseum in Olympia, the Olympic Stadium. It had a caricature of the Oracle of Delphi, which is really just a bunch of stones, and it had an oracle, or, or um, uh, the, the whitewashed huts with the cobalt blue roofs in Santorini, in Santorini and the islands. We did manage to find our way from the East Coast to the West Coast. And on our way back from the West Coast, we were driving east towards Athens, and road signs began popping up 
that indicated that we were getting close to Corinth. And so the logical question was, should we stop and see Corinth? It's Corinth, right? Paul had visited there a couple of times, some say three times. He had written a couple letters, some say three letters. This was a historically and biblically significant town. Should we stop and visit? Lack of directions. And really, I think it was the comfort of knowing that we were on the road that we need to be on to get to Athens. The comfort of knowing that where we were was right. And the desire to get to our hotel won the day and we bypassed this important city. I suppose hindsight is 2020. We probably should have stopped. But its geographical location was not lost on us. Having waved at it from the highway, it was clear to us why this place was so important. As they say in real estate, location, location, location. Corinth had location, and its location made it one of the wealthiest cities of its time. Corinth is situated on an isthmus that is about four miles wide. It basically connects mainland Eastern Europe to the rest of Greece. And it is coincidentally a safe place to pull into port. Because if you sailed around the southern tip of Greece, in those days it was like sailing around Cape Horn. In fact, the folks in Greece at the time had two sayings about sailing around Cape Malia and the grim prospect of it. Let him who sails round Malia forget his home. And the other one is, let him who sails round Malia first make his will. The dangers of sailing the Mediterranean and especially around the southern tip of Greece forced sailors to dock and then literally pull their ships the four miles across the isthmus. Or if their ships were too big, they would unload all of their goods, haul it the four miles, and then load it back onto another ship that was waiting. The port in Corinth was a tremendous commercial hub for any trade goods going from east to west and the safety of not going around the bottom of Greece and north and south because it connected Greece with all of mainland Europe. Lots of trade, lots of goods, lots of people, lots of money, lots of cultures, all of these people and money and religions and beliefs meant lots of unsavory activities. Paul must have been in heaven, what with all of the opportunities to affect a change in so many lives. But he was also very worried. You can hear Paul's concern for the church of God in Corinth just in these first few verses. And I particularly want us to listen to verse 5, 6, and 7 again. For in every way you have been enriched in him, 
in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gifts as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank Matt for his own words this morning. I did not plant him. <laughs> in fact, I could close this up and say what Matt said. What spoke to me the most this week was this phrase, testimony of Christ. And it feels like there are two testimonies about which Paul is speaking. In one sense, we have been given a testimony of Christ. We have been witnesses to something extraordinary brought about by Christ's interaction in the world and in our lives and in our community. We have a testimony of Christ, an example of Christ's life that has informed our lives and has changed us. The scriptures tell us how Jesus lived. He spent time gathering in the synagogues teaching. He healed people, cast out demons, restored eyesight and the use of legs. He saw all the people that had been socially isolated and simply had a conversation with them. He ate meals with them. He shared a cool drink of water at a well. He got mad at folks who distorted the intentions of faith or who capitalized on folks trying to be faithful. He prayed and he was obedient in his journey to the cross. Jesus Christ's testimony in the world is one of community building, of educating people, of healing and caring, of discipline and prayer and obedience. Jesus didn't enter the world to live the life he wanted, he entered the world to fulfill God's plan for creation as the source of redemption and salvation for those who would live their own lives as he did. That is his testimony that has been given to us. And Paul wrote to encourage this small group of Corinthians who had decided to try to live life according to the testimony of Christ. They were literally surrounded on all sides by people and cultures and religions that lived very differently and very much a life full of sin and debauchery. Paul was worried about them and wanted them to know that they had been equipped to live the kind of life that, once revealed in the end of the days, would give them eternal life. In another sense, we have a testimony of Christ to be given. In our lives, we have had an encounter with Christ that has drawn us into this Christian life and has challenged us to live a certain way, a way unlike the culture around us. And so, to the world, we have a testimony of Christ. 
Our actions and our words and our attitudes are what we present to our friends and neighbors and even strangers. And because we have seen Jesus Christ at work in our lives, we have the potential to live that example, to be the hands and feet of Christ to others every single day. Because of Christ and because we are Christians, our way of life should emulate that of the one God has sent to us. We should emulate Jesus Christ in all that we do, day in and day out, every minute, every second. Paul is telling the Corinthians the same thing. Look, with all the unchristian activities that are happening around you, you are called to behave differently. You shouldn't be involved in the same type of living as the Phoenicians or the Romans or the Africans or the Phrygians or, for that matter, other Greeks. Paul understood how easy it would be to fall off the bandwagon. Even in our own world, the temptations to not behave Christ-like is overwhelming, and it's so, so easy. The pull to do what our society is pushing us to do can and does overpower us. Paul is encouraging the Corinthians and the Darlingtonians to resist the pull and to stick to the testimony of Christ. Is that a word, Darlingtonians? Okay. So how do we do this? When the temptation to cast a brother or sister or a stranger or a neighbor aside rises within you, our testimony of Christ should force us to engage with them. Where there is sickness, our testimony of Christ should force us to do what we can to help heal. In brokenness, our testimony of Christ should force us to restore. Hunger abounds. Our testimony of Christ should force us to feed. Loneliness everywhere. Our testimony of Christ should force us to befriend. Those lost mean we find. Church, are we doing that? Are we doing the very basic in our testimony of Christ? Just like in Corinth, people from all different walks of life are watching us. Those folks are forming opinions of what Christians are, and I'm wondering what it means when I hear people say things like, oh, Christians are the biggest hypocrites there are. 
or Christians are the most judgmental people out there. Ah, they call themselves Christians, but they aren't any different than me. Wow. Those popular and prevalent attitudes don't bode well. And if a worship attendance was indicative, a quick survey of churches around the world might support the claim that our testimony of Christ is deficient, insufficient. I'm wondering what you're going to do about it. I'm wondering what we're going to do about it. The testimony of Christ has been given to us and it's a powerful testimony that speaks of life and of love. The testimony of Christ that we have to offer is just as powerful. Our calling to follow Jesus Christ is a divine calling and we've been asked to live life differently. Let's do that. Let's live out a fantastic and life-changing testimony and do our part to be the divine instruments God will use in this community and in this world. Folks, we must. Church, we must be a testimony of Christ in this place because our testimony has been given to us through Jesus Christ and through us we can participate in restoration and healing and love. Let's do that. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we pray that you would empower us to live out your calling in our own lives so that in our community, those who are watching might see a powerful and life-changing witness of Christ. May we testify of Christ's work in our lives. May they know and understand that we have been changed and we have hope in a resurrection that is available to all. All this we pray in Christ's name, and all God's people say, amen.